get ready for another episode of the VoiceOver Gurus podcast. Real talk about the voiceover industry. Uh, welcome back to the VoiceOver Gurus podcast. I'm Linda Bruno, dealing with some frogs, laughing frogs. We can call them laughing frogs, right? Because they're a result of nasal congestion, and then you see something hilarious, and then you have to laugh about it, and then after that, <clears throat> you're just doing that. So I'm uh, apologizing for that in advance. Um, in an effort to try to explore what other voice actors have been doing with their careers, um, I ran into someone that fascinating. Okay, my first, let me just introduce you. Hello to Connor Quinn. Hi there, Linda. It's such a pleasure. It's it's great to finally e meet you in a way. But I know uh, I'm glad know. that you had me on the show. Yeah, no, your your career spans. My God, I mean, you were just telling me a minute ago that you're 50. Yeah, I'm 53. Yeah, oh, okay. so it's yeah. I mean, at you know, 50 rounded up to 100. You know, same thing. <laughs> you and I are basically the same age, but you started off as a child actor. I did, yeah. And so you've basically been working since what age? Since the age of six, basically, wow. uh, I, I did on camera and early voiceovers for Disney when I was six years old. That was my first gig. And I did a long stint uh, as a child actor for television. And, you know, that as you so get to cool. that awkward age, they said, well, you need to find something else <laughs> to do if you want to continue working. And you talk a lot. So let's put you in voiceover. <laughs> so where, did, where were you originally from? I'm from New Mexico, believe it or not. Oh, and, wow. Uh, my grandfather was working out in uh, Los Angeles. He was a cameraman for, uh, you know, The Price is Right for CBS Television City. Oh, cool. And so that was kind of, uh, you know, that's who my mom, you know, kind of like got me to go in, get me introduced into the business, so to speak. And uh, that's yeah. I was going to ask. Where was the inspiration from to, you know, get you auditioning and, you know, as, a, as such a young child? It my, came from yeah, my mom was a you know, a stage mom, even though it was a, you know, television stage, not a, not a theater stage. And my grandfather had the connections and, mm. you know, they just started off my very first meeting. Basically, uh, he asked me, you know, I was a little boy in the seventies, which for Gen Xers, when we were kids, uh, you know, if they said, do you want to, do you want to meet Winnie the Pooh? I'm oh, down yeah. for it. Right. <laughs> and it just so happened he you know, hung out, uh, he would do lunch with uh, an actor, a voice actor by the name of Sterling Holloway, who was the original voice of Winnie the Pooh. Right. And so when I met this old guy who did talk like Winnie the Pooh, but oh. looked nothing like him, I was, I was just like, who are you? <laughs> and, um, you know, so he said, he asked my grandfather, does your grandson do a British accent? And my grandfather, who is from Oklahoma, and I'm from New Mexico, said, of course, yes, of course. <laughs> and, you know, and the con was on, you know, so, from that point on. <clears throat> Say yes and then figure it out later. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because they were doing storyteller records, which was for the younger audiences. There were these things called cassettes and 33 <laughs> and 75 albums. Uh, so Disney would uh, put some of their films or animation uh, onto these storyteller records and cassettes. And they were doing a, a newer version of Winnie the Pooh with the original cast, but their Christopher Robin was a lot younger, and okay. I couldn't I couldn't even read. They had to whisper the lines to me. Oh my and, gosh! Uh, you know, so you know, you know, That's uh, cool. I, I did get the job, and uh, you know, did a horrible. I mean, 
Dick Van Dyke sounds way better doing a more <laughs> authentic British, British accent. <laughs> yeah, I was horrible. I was just, I'd never now, had heard you, a person. Had you as a child done any kind of acting as far as like lessons or taken any kind of training or you just kind of dr- jumped in? Just jumped in. And wow. it was, you know, from that point on, then I started, you know, you know, you find your way through, you know, all the LA kid actors and, oh, you need to go here and make sure that he gets dance lessons and singing lessons. Because back then you had to be, there was no con- studio contracts, but you were kind of studio property in a way, you know, to uh, to get you to be cast, you had to be a triple threat. So, wow. you know, if you couldn't dance, sing and, you know, do everything, ride a horse and juggle, the next kid could. So wow. if you wanted to get that Hershey candy bar commercial or mm-hmm. whatever Burger King, whatever you were doing, you had to be really up to date on. I mean, you just had to be prepared to air. Basically, you lied. And then between <laughs> between that the, the the that and the audition, you would learn to juggle, and then uh-huh. you would go up acting like you knew how to juggle all along. It was oh, a, funny! Oh my uh, gosh! So now you did a lot of commercials then as a kid, right? Oh I think I gosh. read in your bio. What was your first um, commercial? Very first commercial was uh, a Jello commercial with Bill Cosby, and uh, you know uh, we worked a lot with with him and his entertainment company, so. I did hundreds of uh, Coca-Cola commercials and wow. Jello, and uh, you know, I did uh, I did Reese's peanut butter cup commercial with uh, Orson Welles. Oh my and, goodness! You know, just just ton- back then, you know, commercials were so wonderful. I remember shooting a Hubba Bubba commercial, and we were using uh, the the actual Main Street that they had used on Bonanza, and Hubba Bubba, my goodness. And it just so ha- exactly so it just so happens that uh, the guy that was working on that commercial knew some people on Little House, and that's how I got the gig on Little House on the Prairie. So, and what were you doing on Little House? You were playing a recurring character or a regular? What we were just background kids that were on a lot of episodes, so, so we didn't we weren't like mainstream characters. You know, it's not like you mm-hmm. could you know pull up a story about Connor. <laughs> uh, but you know, a lot of times when they're shooting uh, the school scenes, the church scenes, or whatever, uh, there'd be a lot of us in the background. So for uh, quite a few years, I loved Little House on the Prairie. So I'm yeah, sure beautiful. I saw you multiple times. <laughs> right, and you here know, we are, 50 years later. <laughs> 50 years, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm actually meeting and you. Michael Landon was the one. He got us all together one day, and he's looking. You have to remember the the time frame, okay? Yeah. So he's looking at all of us kids. All of us are gathered. He's looking at us. He goes, "Well." Yeah, I don't see any Liz Taylors or uh, no, there's no Paul Newmans or James Deans. You're all going to be fat, ugly, and bald when you grow up. Are you so, serious? So if you want to be continue acting in Hollywood, you probably, or if you want a job in Hollywood, you probably better find something else to do just in case. Oh my god! And so as a little six-year-old, I raised my hand. And I said, well, why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> Did you seriously? You, everyone laughed and he said... That's a good question, Connor. Uh, <laughs> I can build the sets. I can write. I can direct. I can produce. And oh, by the way, I can act. Mm-hmm. Well, not to mention every female in that era really had a crush on oh, Michael yeah. Landon. He was so handsome. Right. So, mm-hmm. but he he had us work with uh, other team members on the cast. So we would learn audio, or we'd learn makeup, or just he was just trying to explain to us that the system is is mean. Yeah. And that unless you have a certain look or whatever, you probably are not going to get into the, too much work as you get a little bit older. 
And as he was leaving, he pointed to me and he goes, you like to talk a lot. I think you ought to go into voiceover. <laughs> wow. And so I told my agent and I found my tribe. Wow. I could eat cereal and wear pajamas and go yeah. to the recording studio. <laughs> well, that's that's amazing that Michael Landon pointed you out and said, this, this did. is that a was, path for you. That was a, yeah, that was a godsend. And, and it was so much, you know, in those days, unlike so for those listening that are getting ready to get into the business or that are just kind of new to the business, um, you know, back in the old days, we didn't, I didn't know anybody that had their own home studio. Yeah. We went to recording studios in Los Angeles and as fast as you could drive between recording studios determined how much you got paid. So really? think about, you know, today it's a kind of an issue where you sit and you record auditions all day and maybe and do hopefully do work. But back in the day, you had to drive to your agent's office to do an audition and then drive home. And then she would call you and say, oh, at three o'clock, you have an audition across town in Hollywood. Gotcha. And you have that recording session tonight at six o'clock uh, in the Capitol Records building or what, you know, wherever, mm -hmm. where I've never recorded in the cap. I don't know why I said yeah. that. It's not yeah. like Frank Sinatra, but <laughs> an example. whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you get my point. So back then it was. I think it was better because you you could be more social with with people and you yes. got to know their families. Whereas today, as you know, we climb in our little black box and we talk yeah. to ourselves. Uh, but it's convenient. You're not spending gas and driving yeah. in L.A. heat and traffic trying to get desperately get somewhere to do a search commercial or, you know, whatever. There's pros and cons, right? I there mean. Is. I, moving to New York back in 97, having to be in the city, walking, you know, audition to audition and then a session and sometimes just having to hang out for an hour in a park, you know, because then you were going to be or they'd call you immediately and go, can you head over to wherever? Right. Um, and at the time I was like, this is great. You know, I'm, I'm going to this studio and that studio. And then you get to, you know, meet the producers and the engineers right. and then you start to continue to go to the same places. Um, I do miss that. I do, you too. Know? Yeah, I yeah. really do. That and personal connection. Exactly. You know, and when I was a child, it, while I was on Little House, I was also flying to New York uh, half the year and lived near Manhattan. We stayed in Manhattan because I was doing Sesame Street. So I did that for oh, five right. or six years. So where I was were really. Where were they a, filming Sesame Street? So today, uh, and it has been for many years, at, at the Astoria Street Studios in Queens. And it's been there ah, okay. for a long time. But when I was a child, it was uh, uh, near 81st and Broadway. Uh, it was called the Teletape Studios. Uh, it was an old RKO, RKO converted uh, theater. Oh, and gotcha. so uh, during the 70s, up until 1982, that's where it was shot. Then from 82 to, I want to say, into the 90s, they shot at another Teletape location. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then finally, where it's been the longest is uh, at the Astoria Street Studios, which are historic studios in mm -hmm. in, New, in New York. So you're basically bi-coastal as a child. I was. Yeah, I was so confused. You know, it's like, and, and, you know, having that <laughs> crane, you know, you can't, you, you know, a, a store that you thought was there is like no longer there. And as you know, you have to be careful and selective about what you do in New York because going halfway, you got mm -hmm. to... you you got to know where each place had a great bathroom. Oh, right. You know, because, <laughs> I know, I know. You know, because that was a big thing is like, oh you know, they gosh, didn't want yeah. customer. You had to be a customer. You had to buy something to, you know, use their facilities. And 
It's so you true. Know. You just reminded you know, me. The bathroom issue. And anywhere right. you don't I'd, want to catch the, go, uh, can I use your bathroom before right, I leave? Yeah. Just, <laughs> oh my God. Nerve wracking. But luckily as a child, most you know, pretty much all of that I did was in Ses was at Sesame Street for those years. And and uh, you know, that was an honor, you know, working with uh, Jim and uh, Frank. I mean, just the wow whole team at, at Sesame Street and still are, you know, I still do promos and stuff for uh, for Sesame Street. I'm very thankful for that. That's great. But I've, you know, they, they were and continue to be just a wonderful family. It was such a, unlike any television experience I've ever been on, Little House was great. Michael Landon kept a tight rein on everything. Mm -hmm. But other shows that we did in the 70s, oh, you know, I can't even talk about these stories. I mean, they were just absolute mayhem. Really? But Sesame Street, it was so geared towards children uh, that, you know, the writers and the directors and producers were pretty much all educators and, and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they had the, uh, the, the kids in mind. So the grips that were on the set, uh, were wonderful to deal with. And, you know, mm -hmm. they didn't tell any off color stories or any, they were just like uncles. And, and, uh, it was a, you know, they had a code word, you know, uh, the one, uh, young producer, she would walk across the soundstage going blue skies, blue skies. And as a kid, I thought, Oh, okay. We're indoors, so now we have to pretend there's blue skies on the street of Sesame Street. Uh -huh. No, she was telling everybody, "Shut up! Kids are getting ready to come out of makeup, <laughs> and we don't want to hear any of those stories or yeah. any of those jokes. So get it over with." That's funny. The kids are coming out. Yeah. So now great. you'd spend half the year in New York and half in L.A. I sure would. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And where would you guys? You guys had a place in New York, or you rented? Yeah. Or what'd you do? My agent, she had. She had a location where it was close to Columbus Circle where uh, we stayed. It was a dormitory. So you had the boys in one side and the girls in the other. And same thing in Los Angeles. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, we had to live in dormitories at a young age. Wow. And uh, that was just, you know, kind were of you like, on your own. I mean, are your folks were your folks with you or oh, they would come out and check with me. But, yeah, basically, uh, Joni Venari was my. And, you know, she's basically still in my life. I mean, she's older than Methuselah, I tell everyone, which <laughs> really greatly upsets her. But, you know, she was like my mom, you know, she was my surrogate mom when uh, if my parents, you know, because they lived in New Mexico, so they couldn't be there all the time. So wow. Joni and her team were just luckily those of us that were with her were so blessed because, uh, you know, she handled us with with kid gloves, basically. It's like mm -hmm. made sure that we were taken care of. And uh, then you had a little house on the prairie. It's like uh, Michael had been a uh, a child, a teenage act, a, a star, a pinup star. Right, right. So he knew things could go wrong quickly. Mm -hmm. When we were on his <laughs> set, if you were not on stage blocking a scene or filming a scene, you had to be with your... Uh, you know, off, off screen, you had to be with your tutor and learning education, right? Uh, which as a child, I hated because oh. the other sets, they didn't care. Really? I mean, it was just craziness, you know, but, but it's and, good, though, that you have yeah, that educational push. <clears throat> absolutely. He was ver he was much a pretty much a stickler with that. And um, and then Karen Grassley that played Mrs. Ingalls, she was uh, for many years, she was my uh, uh acting teacher and uh wow. i even attended school in santa fe and she taught there for a little bit uh, in that santa fe new so mexico cool. so we kind of you know uh, yeah. followed each other 
And yeah, she's awesome. So most of my acting background came through Karen, you know, learning, uh, mm -hmm. which has always been my philosophy with uh, voice work. You know, people say, how do you remain consistent and how do you gain mm. large, large work? I mean, outside of just, you know, we all do the industrial and just, you know, the, uh, the factory type work, which it's right. our bread and butter. Sure. Not a lot of acting involved in, in a lot of that sort of thing. But if you want to get the, the truly breakout roles and the stuff that, uh, you know, that you can put your teeth in and grow from and create a wonderful portfolio, you have to, you have to have the basis in acting. Yes. It's not anything. I mean, you know, people, you know, if I had a penny for, I'm sure you could too. Everyone that comes up to me and saying, you know, I've always been told I got a voice for yes. radio. <laughs> like, oh, oh God. Yeah. God. Yes. That that's right there. That's a warning sign that you should not be in voice. Yeah, you know, know. Hey, I, you know, Hey everybody. I just come off of radio. It's like, <laughs> no, that's I think, I think right now the most common thing that I hear is, um, and it's more of the younger generation that they're like, Oh, I watch, a lot of anime and I watch a lot of, you know, cartoons and, and series and I want to be a character in, in, in one of those. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you're going to need to move to L.A. <laughs> and you're going to have to, you know, they think it's an easy thing. And it, that's like a whole right. different animal. It's, you a know? Whole, it's completely, you know, so many people that will come to me for, you know, either help with marketing or help with <laughs> their uh, voice acting technique. You know, that's one of their early goals is I want to be a Disney princess. It's like, well... <laughs> You actually have higher odds of being struck by lightning three right. times in a row and getting an Academy Award before you'll become a Disney princess. I know, I know. But uh, you might have a better chance if you actually volunteered or to go in the suit. You know, yeah. maybe that's. But I mean, as you say, animation and anime, all that. It, it's a it's a completely different dog. I'm lucky because my voice is versatile and. You know, I'm so old. I span the, I span the edge of time. You know that I do a lot of video games. I'm fortunate to do a lot of animation, mm -hmm. but you know, I want to break. You know, right now, I'm sure. You know, with your show, you've you've in in your interviews, you've broken this bubble a lot. The myth that you just get into voiceover and you're going to be on Grand Theft Auto, yeah, or the, the voice of some anime in Hong Kong next. It's not. I know it's not feasible. You're going to be doing a lot of boring corporate reads and corporate narration training videos that nobody, but maybe a store manager and some kid mm -hmm. that didn't want to take the the video test. You're going to read stuff like that, but it pays the bills. That's what I tell them. I say, exactly. I will teach you how to make money in the business. That, but if you're looking for the celebrity and being one of these very lucky people that, you know, then that's a whole different ballpark. It, it really is. You know, and it's not like, something it, I specialize it, it, in. It's possible. But, oh, definitely. Yeah, but it's, it's extremely hard. You know, that, you know, people say, well, can I get in it without an agent? You know, outside of all of that, if we just put that aside, everything, almost everything I do is from direct marketing and relationships that I've created personally with producers over many, many years. Right. Through direct marketing and, you know, because now, you know, social media is everything. It's, it's a matter of making these relationships. Right. And being there, you know, being top of mind because nobody's ever thinking about you maybe your mom but almost <laughs> everybody else they never think of you yeah so you have to stay in front of them all at all times it's a moving target yeah and you have to be annoying you have to be loud you have to be quiet i mean mm -hmm. you have to read their minds how much time do you spend personally on social media on on getting on there updating things getting interacting with people i mean you know hour, how many hours a week do you think i'm getting better so uh, maybe 
maybe like an hour and a half to two hours a day, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and I should do more. Um, these Same. apps that help yeah. me plan uh, my social media, those are great because in my downtime, I'll be thinking of some, you know, I, you know, my agent, she's Joni, she's always saying, you need to, you ought to share that. And for so many years in the industry, we didn't share it. We weren't allowed to share anything, especially working with Disney and oh, right, right, various right. things yep. because it was just a, a lifetime ND8, <clears throat> basically. And uh, so to be able to do that was, it's just a mind-blowing experience that now, oh, we share it on YouTube and mm -hmm. uh, here's a corporate video that I did. But that's what gets to work because, yeah, the producers at Disney, so they don't, really don't care. Mm-hmm. But the the video uh, the videographer that you're working with in mm -hmm. no name Wisconsin or Montana, yeah, absolutely, they'll hear you doing work similar to what they're shooting. Their drone footage for a real estate agent, or mm -hmm. maybe it's a training video for uh, a steel company. You know, they 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 hear that and they'll say, you know what, I can really use her voice uh, for this anthem right. video that I'm producing for their landing page. Right. So, you're absolutely right. I need to do more social media. So all you guys listening, that's <laughs> it's so important. Critical. It is. I know. And I, I don't do enough for myself personally. I mean, I have uh, how much do you do? Does. Um, me personally, not a lot. And it needs to be more. I'm getting mm -hmm. better about getting onto the forums and engaging and seeing what clients are doing. And yeah. but like it's voiceover tough. gurus, you know, I have Sandy, the assistant, she does a lot of the social media. Um, because it's you have to constantly have content. It's overwhelming. You know what? I'm yeah. lucky that I can make this cursor move on my screen, <laughs> right? And then um, if Excel quits working, uh, you know that's my that's my brain. You know, yeah. instead of using like a CRM like most people, I put everything. I'm so old school. I'm, it's like I'm using a Rolodex. Joni still uses a Rolodex, by the way. Really? Oh my I kid God. you not. But. You know, she's five times older than I am, and she knows more about social media and uh, Excel and Word than I do. She's yeah. the one that says, you you know what? You need to be doing such and such and such and such for SEO and, oh, my gosh. People the tell they're like, you should be posting this, this, and this. And my problem is I'm, uh, you know, a pretty – I consider myself not someone who wants to go, and, oh, I was the voice of this and this and this. Right. Um, I'd, I'd rather have – I don't know, my demos speak for themselves and whatever. So yeah. it's uncomfortable for me because I'm like, nobody wants to know about that. This is like a stupid part of my life. Why Why would I even talk about it? Yet I'm being but told, no, that's interesting. And I'm like, uh, really? You know, I, I know. had a tuna sandwich for, and you want me to talk about that? So for, for many years, especially in L.A., no, you know, if you're an actor in L.A., nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. There's so but if many. you're at a party and some guy, you know, what do you do? And a lady says, well, I, I'm a bookkeeper. Oh. Oh. What? So what do you, oh, do you have, yeah. you sit at a desk, right? Oh, tell, you know, they all gather around. Oh, this is fast. Cause so, we're all, if you say that you're in Los Angeles and you say, well, I'm an actor, they go, oh, where, where do you wait tables? I mean, uh, that, right. you would do one or the other. Right. Uh, but for someone to say, I'm a fireman, I'm a police, you know, whatever. That's fascinating. Yeah. But outside of the dumpster fire known as LA, <laughs> everywhere else in the world, I, I just wasn't prepared for it. So if I went to a party and someone asked what I did, I just said, uh, I own my own business. I didn't mm. elaborate. Mm -hmm. But I was losing opportunities for networking because right. the minute I started saying I do voiceover, then I found, it, found that I, I interested people, either people wanting to get into voiceover or just maybe wanting to learn how to use effective uh, 
uh, communication skills at work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's a few that wanted to actually try and start a career or whatever. But more than anything, it was it was going for people who was like, you know what, you'd be great for my IVR or my on hold or, right. you know, I've, I've got a great uh, training uh, videos that I want to set up for my clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, you, it, I'm like you. It's if if I wanted to be famous, I would have just stayed in television, and I wasn't. I was a, a you know, I was a, every kid in a Burger King commercial, or I, you know, I did a thousand Ronald uh, McDonald Land commercials in the seventies. Wow. And, you know, so if I wanted to be famous, I would have tried to move on from that. Yeah. But I didn't. I loved eating my Cheerios in pajamas in a recording yeah. studio. So and, how old were you when you were like, I'm done with on camera? So I was about 16. And, you know, you kind of get in that awkward stage as a as an actor where, you know, the in the 70s, you know, I think that's why I'm a big guy now is uh, throughout my childhood, it was very tough because they uh, they basically starved us. You know, I didn't have my first cheeseburger and malt till I was, you know, I don't know, probably 14, you know, what? because you had to maintain a certain weight. You had to have a certain oh look to be cast in those commercials. So gotcha. I remember, you know, doing a million McDonald's commercials that were in McDonald land. It's like uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I mean, there's hamburgers that talk and French fries that fly and you can't eat any of it. Never had it tasted any of that. So it's like all of us wow. kids, we were like, we're pretending we're acting, you know, oh, we're hungry. We're oh, the malt. Oh, my gosh, please, Ronald, you know, you know, but that was just the, you know, that was just the, the time business. frame of, yeah. of, of making sure that you had a certain look. And and so when I discovered food, it was like I went all out. It's like <laughs> now as a voiceover, I don't have to worry about it. So no, you can do whatever you want. When I was 16. Yeah, I remember on Sesame Street, uh, you know, one of the <laughs> the big scenes that I remember doing was, you know, uh, Ernie would would pop up. They'd put me up on this like five foot wall so i'm sitting on the wall mm-hmm. facing the camera and then ernie would pop up and uh he had a plate of cookies like oh my god i wanted <laughs> you know i'm six years old i wanted those cookies so i can still see them i can smell them and wow. he's like oh i've got you know i've got these cookies from my good buddy connor and oh my god i was so excited you know there's like a dozen chocolate chip cookies have any cookies well, that's so sad about that time cookie monster would pop up and eat the tray and the cookies and everything else and steal them from Ernie. And we'd both be sad because we didn't have any. <laughs> you know? So they, they would shoot several times a year, everything. They Ernie would bring a cake up. Cookie Monster would get it. Guy Smiley would steal bananas. I wouldn't get those. You know, it was just like, it was inside, like Charlie you Brown. Were, you were football. dying inside, basically. <laughs> right. Every time the food came around. Exactly. Wow. I feel so bad for kids now that have to do you know, on camera well, yeah, stuff. it's changed. Thank God the laws have changed, you know, with, uh, you know, back then we, we really couldn't eat what they were using anyway, because the lights, everything was filmed. Mm-hmm. Oh. So everything was fake because ice cream, it would melt. So they used mashed potatoes, uh, <laughs> in the soup commercials, you know, they would put marbles in the soup so that the, the vegetables would float to the top. So you had to be very careful about, <laughs> you know, and plus there's dry ice in it to make it steam, you know, you're right, right, right. The tricks of the trade. It's, not it's like you that wouldn't want to. You know, I remember eating some things. You would just put it in your mouth, and then as soon as they yell cut, you had a little uh-huh. bit uh, pail that you would. Now everything you did as a child obviously was all union. 
It was union, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and back in those days, Screen Actors Guild and AFTRA were completely different. So, most so you of were what a I, SAG member at what age? At six years old. Six years old, yeah, because yeah. that's the only way I to... think it was AFTRA first because that was predominantly what I did. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I would audition for a film, but, <clears throat> you know, 99% of everything I got was television. Or, you know, in those days, radio was king as well. So, mm -hmm. you know... I did a lot of, you know, my early voiceover stuff I did as kids because they were needing a lot of kids' voices, you know, back way back, back in the, the day. You back know, in because, the day. Uh, well, I mean, I can imagine people. it would have been pretty lucrative as well. Usually that's why parents want to put their kids in commercials because you have, if you have a national, it's like residuals in the whole nine. Oh, absolutely. You know, I remember, remember the McDonald's, uh, the McDonaldland commercials uh, would, would net, net us a lot of money, you know, residual work. Uh, you know, I remember doing... Uh, there's a, a real specific holiday themed uh, Ronald McDonald skating in a pond and I'm one of the kids on the ice. And uh, so there was quite a few of us featured. We didn't really have lines, you know, um, uh, at the time King Moody was throughout the seventies. He was the Ronald that everybody grew up with that his name was King Moody and wonderful, just a wonderful actor. And he went, went out and skated and the rest of us had learned to ice skate. And so we went out there and uh, everybody got a chance to uh, ice skate with the animals and with Ronald, but I didn't. And no. so at the very end, the close of the commercial, Ronald sees me standing alone being sad and he picks me up and the music swells and, you know, ah. happy holidays from McDonald's, you know, and all the Bambi Aww. and the, you know, it's, it's sweet. So the, that paid residuals for many, many years. Because, yeah. And they've changed uh, Ronald over the years. They, they went to Squire Fridell. So if you guys uh, Google Squire, uh, Squire was a very familiar commercial spokesman on TV in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And, you know, he did the Toyota-thon where he'd jump out of a box and stuff. So he was a very famous Ronald uh, up wow. until, like, the early 90s. Well, anyway, so every every year they would replace just that one segment where they'd zoom in on that Ronald face. They would replace it with the new Ronald. And oh so gosh. everyone thought that they were reshooting it, which they weren't. Uh, so that was and good it, for those of us that were didn't have to do anything. Yeah, it's like you're 20, checks. but you're still getting residuals. That's nice. Yeah. Forever. So, OK, so you discover when you're a teenager, I'm done with the on camera. Is that at the point where you were like, I really want to pursue voiceover? Absolutely. Yeah. My agent, Joni, she, she said, you know, that's what you started with was voiceover and you really took to that. You really, and I did, I loved, you know, Disney, uh, you know, back in the day we recorded in a horseshoe formation. Um, so like for the Winnie the Pooh, we had the original cast. We had Sebastian Cabot, uh, was owl. We had Hal Smith who played, uh, Otis, the town drunk on Andy Griffith. He was Eeyore. Sterling hmm. Holloway was, uh, Winnie the Pooh and Junius Matthews was Rabbit. So we had, mm -hmm. and Paul Winchell was Tigger. How could I forget Paul? But we, anyway, we'd all sit in a horseshoe fashion and those guys are uh, all pretty much, uh, they, they had been in old radio. So they were used to, you get it right the first time. So there was very little pickups and very, almost from top to bottom, each thing we recorded was take one. Masters I mean, of the live. Absolutely mm -hmm. amazing, you know. I just love that. I just love the, the, the ritual. And, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of it, the, the producer would go back in and do, you know, now we have pickup lines. So Paul, I want you to do pickups on five 
line 18 and 23 try to laugh a little more connor we need you to pick up on lines 36 through 90 <laughs> or you know something like that uh, <laughs> right <laughs> i just fell in love with that ritual and that's you know for me television acting was especially for like uh little house on the prairie we shot like a, it was an hour north big sky ranch was an hour north of los angeles so you had to be up at like 4 a.m to make the set oh, at six God. to be in makeup and wardrobe uh Oh, and then all these delays and then lunch. And you would probably be there and shoot it actually at 4 p.m. Oh, my God. Uh, and then turn around the next day and do it again. Do it again. Yeah. Wow. So I just it was just a I didn't really enjoy the the process of the film. I kind of enjoyed, you know, in those days they filmed everything with Panavision and it was everything was cool. Mm -hmm. But that wore off, you know, the first 100 episodes or, <laughs> you know, it just become routine. Right. Uh, voiceover was constantly exciting. It still is exciting. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I every day I get up, I have no idea. Am I going to be the voice of a fox or I'm going to am I going to do a, you know, a, a, an explainer video or am I going to do like this morning? I did a, uh, a narration on how to embalm somebody. You know, it's <laughs> like, who would have thought you miss working with people live? I do. You know, yeah, the, me too. What I really enjoy, I do a lot of what I do now, fortunately, is Source Connect. So I have, you know, three or four of those a day if I'm lucky. So those those help out that keeps that going. But there yeah. are many days where you just it's just you and the microphone and you're dealing with emails and occasionally maybe a phone call. But uh, most of yeah. it's not. You know. in, the, in the early days for so many of us, when you're just building your career, you know, you are going to be just spending a lot of time, solitude in that booth. Absolutely. I'm glad you, you know. said that because, yeah. uh, you know, for those of you listening, for if you're listening to Linda or I talk about the business and the, the, the great times that we had when we first started, there was Rocky Points and there is continue to be Rocky Points. Oh, yeah. So I think anyone's lying when they say they don't have slow days or they, you know. God, I want to kill those people, honestly. Yeah, I'm stop just it. like, just, it's not it's real not life. Real. It's right. not real. It's no. not, real life is not social media. It's one thing to post or be proud of, hey, I did this uh, landing page video for, uh, you know, a local plumber or whatever you did, you're showing off. That is wonderful. And to me, there's pride in working with hometown people of wherever you're at yeah and that's really where you should start if you're starting in voiceover is look in your own backyard of people that are needing voiceover because i guarantee they're not getting it or if they are it's this horrible yeah. talent they're getting at dirt cheap prices and they don't realize there's people with quality uh stuff out there and even mm -hmm. if you don't have quality that's how you get quality you yeah you learn from rudimentary stuff and you work your way up i mean look at me I started in voiceover with no microphone, no anything. I had to go places to, right. you know, speaking yeah. of, yeah, it was a union job. I remember I must've been like 10 years old, had to go do a, a radio commercial. And I was simply, I mean, the microphone was for a man or a woman, you know, an adult. So I was adjusting and I got yelled at, you know, it's the Neumann. Yeah. U47 don't touch or that. Whatever. Don't, that's not, that's a union job. No, oh, that's right. So the guy yelled at me. That's not your job, and that's not your microphone. Yep. So I think of that every time I adjust my own equipment. It's like it used to be. Well, it still is. You know, in some places you have to be cognizant of that. But it's like it's so one of the perks of having your own place is having your own place. You know, 
Make sure you join us next time for part two of my chat with Connor Quinn on the VoiceOver Gurus podcast. Thanks for listening to the VoiceOver Gurus podcast. Real talk about the voiceover industry. Learn more about us and get coaching at voiceover.guru.